0: Hey, friend, Elamine Abdul mahmoud here. Look, if you're anything like me, maybe you're constantly looking for new podcasts. Well, I have a recommendation for you. It is Sounds Good, CBC's podcast newsletter. You'll get some new show recommendations and you'll be treated to some behind-the-scenes footage of some of your favorite shows. Subscribe to Sounds Good, CBC's podcast newsletter at the link in the description. And also, just Sounds Good, I'm so grateful for those people because they listen to everything so you don't have to. This is a CBC podcast. So, the minute that Halloween is over, I start my Christmas movies. And specifically, I start re-watching Love Actually and Elf. Today on the podcast, both of those movies just turned 20. We're gonna look back at their legacies and whether they've aged well. One of them, not so much. I'm Alamine Abdul Mahmoud. This is Commotion. All right, let us get into the Christmas spirit with this.
1: It's written in the wind, in the wind. I go, everywhere I go. So if you really
0: love Christmas, love come, on, come on, and let it snow. This is shit, isn't it? Yup. Solid gold shit, my I gotta tell you, I can picture every little micro-expression on Bill Nye's face. That is, of course, from the rom-com Love Actually. And that is the opening, from the opening, of one of two Christmas classics that are turning 20 this year. Love Actually is one of them. And then there's also the other one, which is Elf. That Elf is with Will Ferrell and Zooey Deschanel. We're going to talk about both of those movies because... They kind of become inescapable this time of year, right? You're going to hear exactly what it is that makes them so great, but also why one of them hasn't aged so well. So I spent quite a bit of time talking about Love Actually and about, and about Elf with Hannah Flint and Rad Simon Play, And I got to tell you, we started with Rad and he was so incredibly in the Christmas spirit.
2: Oh ho, I'm ho. ho. <laughs> like, there you go. <laughs> like, I okay. I got you.
1: in several areas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: This is a great way to start this conversation. Hannah, I'm going to start with you because Love actually set in London and that is where you live. Can you, like, set the movie up? How would you describe this movie?
1: Um, it's kind of the, uh, whitewashed vision of Britain <laughs> 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 in the most romanticized okay. version possible. Yes. I mean, look, it's a, it's very middle-class It's very kind of like everything you expect from like a British film, a Richard Curtis film. I think certainly like everyone's impressions of Brits is basically, well, it used to be just like Richard Curtis rom-coms. Yes. classic period dramas now we've got top Boy, so basically <laughs> it's actually somewhere in the middle <laughs> um but um you know it's it's this very sincere uh kind of you know joyful Christmassy comedy about kind of connections that i will say as much as um like you said I, You know, when you come it comes on the TV, it's yeah. one of those things that you kind of watch. And certainly when I was, what, so it's it's 20 years ago, so I was 15 when this came out. I loved it. And now I'm like, oh, there's, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of things uh, wrong with it. Um well, certainly- I think that's like a lot of films. <laughs> <was gonna> say- <laughs> like nowadays, it's like...
0: It's a movie that gives you a lot of opportunities to take a lot of issues because it's a, it's, it's a kaleidoscopic film. There's all these different stories yeah. that are kind of colliding. Um, and as they collide, you kind of go like, oh, I don't know about this now, especially now. Yeah. How many times did you say you've seen Love, Actually, Hannah? Because I think like I I'm like... at like 20, maybe 30. I don't know.
1: Yeah, maybe that much because – I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I know, I feel like in, in the UK, we have like traditional, like we have five channels. Of course, we've got Digital and Sky, but yeah. there's a big thing. You get your you get your Christmas TV guide, which is like a bumper one, and it has yeah. all in. So I So I don't know what, it's like, a, I, I imagine there's like a war between the broadcasting channels, like who's going to get love actually, so we can play it 10 times during the period. <laughs> so it's kind of on all the time. I think yeah. I have it on DVD. So I've already seen it probably more than you have.
0: <laughs> I I don't even doubt that at all. Rad, how many times have you seen love actually?
2: I haven't seen it since it was in theaters twenty years ago. Okay? I cannot I <laughs> like,
0: cannot cope with that. I cannot cope no, with the notion that you've not returned look, to love Why actually. would I
2: put myself through that again? <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like that's like I twenty years ago, I remember actually I watched it with my girlfriend then my wife now. Yeah. Uh and even back then I hated it with a thousand fires. Tell uh, me. About maybe that. for different reasons. Well, I mean, so let's like going back to that time, bear in mind I was already kind of getting tired of you called the kaleidoscopic film, you can call it the omnibus film, whatever, like the multiple thread kind of movies. Yeah, different narratives trending.
0: kind of meet. Yeah, yeah sure.
2: The kind of thing that Robert Altman, you know, mastered with Nashville and Shortcuts, and that was becoming a that was a real trend in, at that time in the early two yeah. thousands, right? You think about, especially because like because of Tarantino, right? Pulp Fiction and then Snatch and the British side, like they 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 kind of created this taste for like these multi narrative movies, which then yeah. also and you hate when
0: stories collide. You're like, that's bad. No, no, I don't love it this became,
2: because it became a lazy crutch for filmmakers who had nothing to say. Ooh. If I don't have a story to tell, let me just take ten different stories and put them all into one. That's what I just hate. But then, so now I did try. That was 20 years ago. I did try to rewatch this movie. Um, So I put it on because of this conversation. And I totally forgot that it was the way it responds to 9-11. Like I didn't, and so like, you know, like both this and Elf, are you know both came out in 2003 so they obviously like yeah. uh, you know they they have their ways of uh, responding nine eleven. we can get into how elf does it down the road but like the love opening actually,
0: monologue is, of love actually
2: opening monologue
0: is, is is like hugh grant saying hey as far as i can tell no one i have this speech memorized i'm very happy to recite this ooh. for you rad but the speech is like what where he where hugh grant says as far as i can tell like no phone calls um from the planes as they were going down in nine eleven, 11 where like messages of Messages of hate. They're all messages yeah. of love. And you were like, I hate love. No, no, so, no. Yeah. I
2: heard that speech as, you know, whenever I'm down and, you know, the, the plane the, twi- the, the plane and the towers get me down, I look at the arrival terminal and yeah. see all the people who made it to the terminal. And that makes me feel good. Like, I was like, oh my God, are you, are you, are you, are you it's a grim <laughs> reading of that. It's I it's think. Exactly. And it's, it's basically like, you know, let me slap 9 11 on the packaging of my 10 in one holiday bulk sale. Like, that was, it was grotesque. Hannah, do you read that speech <laughs> yeah, the it's same def-
1: way? I mean, like, maybe now I do. I mean, look, it's not 25th hour. <laughs> it's, you know,
0: hold on I mean, a minute. I- Don't let Rad <laughs> bring you to the other side. Okay, continue.
1: Sorry. <laughs> No, look, but this is what I'm saying. It's like one of those things where I think as um it is exactly what you can expect from a white middle class male filmmaker to sure. try and tell this sort of story, right? Um I, I know what you mean about the hyperlink stuff. That was very much like he was very much inspired by that. And certainly what I would say, love actually actually you I, I, you were, I, mean, why the I think you are even more well, I think like this is why you're so mad, Rad, because love actually came out and then it was what, who, what to expect when you're expecting Mother's Day, Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. He's just not uh, into you. Like, what did you start?
0: Uh, Hannah, I would think, Okay, continue. Thi- sorry.
1: Oh, what I was just going to say, like, I think you know, it is very saccharine and it's definitely like a romanticized vision of things. I will say one thing that I quite liked about it is that it wasn't a perfect depiction of relationship. I think what, you know, what makes a really good Christmas movie, especially nowadays, as much as this is very middle-class, you know, like Fleabag, right? We can love that, but it's like, this is a very middle-class TV show. What I like about it is, is that it got into like kind of grief and broken relationships. And like it wasn't so, betrayal, it wasn't so perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the whole thing with like, You'll love this because I'm a Joni Mitchell, massive fan. Like she's my girl, Canadian queen. Yes. And I think like that moment where Karen, I love that she's called Karen. Yes. um, Emma Thompson character. Yeah. Emma Thompson, where she opens up her present. She thinks it's going to be the necklace, but it's a Joni Mitchell album. And it's like, you feel that. And when she's just sitting there and it's one of the best uses of both sides now. Yes. So she has like that song. Joni singing it later in life after she spoke about a hundred cigarettes, like a day for 30 odd years, it brings a totally different meaning to, it, and I that's agree. like such a perfect scene. Like the stuff with like Liam Neeson, who we're like, Oh, look at him being all like sappy and sweet when we're kind of so used to him killing people, yeah. um, having this like sweet moment with his like kid. Uh, no. Yeah. But I guess like, I was like, I, I mean, he was like Rob Roy, you know, right, he's right. done that thing. I <laughs> was at Ivanhoe, I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um uh, So I think there are definitely moments of it, but I will, you know, again, it's an imperfect movie. I mean, one of the things I hate about it when I look back on it and it makes me wince so much is every time they call Marty McCutcheon fat. Yes. Which is Natalie. That,
0: that's clearly one of the things that I've like not held up about this movie. I mean, like that, that, the whole, that whole narrative thread really doesn't work and it's falling apart specifically because it's like, size jokes about Natalie's character. Um, I I will say, Rad, when you want to throw out this whole baby with the bathwater, there are narratives in this movie that work really well and there are narratives in this movie that are so bad I wish they would erase them. So for Mm. me, I think about um, the Emma Thompson one and... The scene, the, the Joni Mitchell scene that Hannah was just talking about, when Alan Rickman steps into the room and he says, to continue your musical education and the way that Emma Thompson falls apart in that scene. Like, find me better acting. I will wait. However, do I need to see Kira Knightley and Andrew Lincoln and the signs again? I don't. I, don't, I that Oh, is... I
1: look rather pretty, don't I?
0: <laughs> that was, first of all, a perfect impression. Uh, they're all of me. Yeah, like I, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think anyone is looking for that. I don't think like I don't think that's like a very particularly robust thread. Um, the Laura Linney, uh, the, the sort of thread, is incredible, and she does it with great execution. So I'm not ready to like give up on this movie, and I think I keep returning to it because every time that I watch it, I kind of find something redeeming about each of the narrative threads. Rad, were there any that worked for you, or did you just go, "No, I'm out. I can't do this."
2: The one that actually did work for me is the one you mentioned. It's the Emma Thompson Alan Rickman yes. thing, right? And again, this is this is not necessarily because the material is incredible. The cast is incredible. Mm. They cast Alan Rickman. First of all, they know what they're doing when they cast the villain of Die Hard as another <laughs> Christmas season villain.
1: You know what I mean, like <laughs> as, a, you know,
2: as this slandering husband and whatnot. Yeah. But the thing is for like for a scene like that, as good as, I mean, for that, that, as good as that sequence is, that, that one tiny morsel, why do I need to watch the morsel instead of just watching Eyes Wide yeah. Shut, which is the much greater holiday movie about a fraught marriage where a philandering husband starts going wayward, right? Like, like, why can't I get like the full meal instead of the, the chocolate box assortment that's been re-gifted? <laughs>
1: I will also say one thing I think about when I look back on it is just like how the two storylines where a woman is, I suppose, the more lead in it, right? Yeah. Mm Karen and Sarah, so Laura Linney and Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. They have their hearts broken. They (laughs) Mm -hmm. They have literally they don't get it. Men ruin their life their lives. Whereas if you look at the other, because I think this has started out actually, he what Richard Curtis wanted to do, he had two storylines, which was basically the Prime Minister storyline. Colin Firth, one he wanted to do him as two separate films with just threw them together. Yeah. But all the other ones is about the men, kind of like, oh, look, it's kind of all right, except for like Andrew Lincoln and he walks away like he's a hero. And it's like, put him on the watch list. He's a weirdo <laughs> stalker. Also, like, we are not <laughs> letting that go.
2: We are not letting that go. We are he's talking about and, this. Go weird- tell him. Yeah.
1: He's a weirdo and stalker. also, it's
2: yeah.
1: so weird. And he's also, it's also so heteronormative, this film. There was a storyline they cut a gay storyline between the head teacher of the school and her wife. Really? And they didn't put that in and they cut it. And Rich is like, Oh my bad. Like late your life. It's like, why would you <laughs> yeah. cut that? And then all, basically every Brown person is like, you know, Chiwetel Ejio falls in it. Yeah. Like get a new best mate, mate.
2: But that storyline, the the igf Four storyline where he's married to Kira Knightley, what you're talking about, this whole sequence, this is, of course, I guess the most memorable sequence from this movie, right? They have commercials, like holiday commercials that are based on the cue card scene, right? Where the best friend shows up at the door of his best friend's house to give cue cards to the, his best friend's wife to yeah. show her, tell her how much he's in love with her. Sure. Now, take bear in mind, 20 years ago, for me, That was Chiwetel Ejiofor and Keira Knightley cast as husband and wife. That was a very rare instance of an interracial relationship on screen. Okay, If it was not, guess who's coming to dinner? That was a rare moment we saw that. And yet our sentiments are with the side piece with the guy who shows up at the door being like hey, yo let me just let, let me let me have a romantic engagement with you while your totally naive black husband is waiting in the living room like that's the uh, well, that's what the audience is positioned to feel in the one time we have an interracial relationship like give me a break
1: i uh, yeah. yeah, i will say it's very manipulative i will Hicky. say <laughs>
0: For all his flaws, I will and say yes. like Richard Curtis has kind of admitted a lot of what you're talking about. Like he's oh. he's sort of admitted yeah. being like, oh, I messed up on that one. I messed up in all these yeah. different ways. I don't know if that means like you have to give him a pass. I don't think you do. But I, I think there is there's something to be said about a filmmaker being like, I gotta I gotta own up to all of these things. Mm. Uh, and I do want to talk also about the fact that like this movie has become this enduring holiday classic. Even given all the flaws that we just spent so much time talking about, you've watched this movie a lot. Like, what makes it a rewatchable movie for you?
1: I think it's got so many familiar faces. Yeah, I think it is a kind of time capsule in a way. I think certainly in the UK there's so many Britishness, like some quintessentially British things. Like Uh my favorite, one of my favorite jokes in this, and you mentioned Bill Nye. And fun, fun fact: Bill Nye like lives somewhere near me, and I see him (laughs) all the time walking around. Hannah, move into your neighborhood. Let's go. Mate, I, I sometimes I'm like, hey Bill, <laughs> it's like great. <laughs> but I think also there's a bit ways on like Brett, like Saturday morning TV or something with like the, these TV presenters. Anton yeah. Deck were like literally face of, you know, day, primetime TV. Oh, they're and, like, everywhere. Entertainment and that with Yeah, but I love it when he's like, yes and or deck <laughs> and it's like little <laughs> things like that that stick out um, and also again it's kind of you know it's all about trying to get everyone wants a christmas movie where kind of things work out again there's enough things in this film where storylines work out it's yeah. a romanticized vision there's enough happily ever afters to kind of like balance out the very di- like disasters that actually take place so i think that's what it is and i you know again i i think that it's a nostalgia for that time and don't get me wrong like there are so many films that I watch now. I mean, as someone who grew up on rom-coms and was that my, like my jam, there's so many films that I watch now. I'm like, Ooh, maybe maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't watch this anymore, but I will.
2: Hey, I'm journalist Sam Sanders. I'm poet Saeed Jones. And I'm producer Zach Stafford. And we are the hosts of a podcast called Vibe Check.
0: On Vibe Check, we
2: talk about everything. News, culture, and entertainment, and how it all feels. That's right. We talk about any and everything on our show, from real-life issues like grief to music and movie critiques, and that barely scratches the surface. Yes, indeed. And it doesn't stop there. We have got a lot to say. So join our group chat, come to life. Follow and listen to Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts.
0: we got to move on. we got to move on to talk about Elf, which is this other giant holiday movie that people return to a lot this time of year. Rad, you were talking earlier about this idea of 9-11 being a thread through Love Actually, sort of the beginning point of Love Actually. You kind of see that as the same thing is happening with Elf. It's also a response to 9-11. What do you you mean by that? What do you mean that Elf is also a response to 9-11?
2: Well, so like I think the way it, it the way it happens in Love Actually is so much more superficial, and it's a way for them to kind of build relevance points for something that is not relevant at all, uh, totally irrelevant. Is the <laughs> way tell we'll us how describe. you really <laughs> <feel>. okay, <laughs> yeah. 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 But in terms of Elf, like, look, I think it's not as explicit. I think mm. it's a matter of like knowing that this movie was created in that moment, and 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 in kind of in, in its sentiment is responding to the mood in New York City. I mean, it is set in mm. New York City. It's in by sentiment. It is responding to kind of the cynical mood that has taken over in the aftermath of 9/11. Yeah. And you see like little nuggets of like you know the big American flag in the office building. The character Buddy goes to reunite with his dad, who works inside the Empire State Building. By the way, his dad played by James Caan. Yes. The fact that almost every New York is either on the offense or the defense and then in comes this elf who's just trying to cheer everyone up and who's just totally naive and trying to bring, you know, make everyone kind of find hope again. The fact that the final scene has you know Santa sleigh crashing in central park and and once again all everyone is ho- hovering around their television sets watching this thing this crash this the development that's happening in new york where a, mm-hmm. where an aircraft has crashed into the city like that and, and and but then coming out of that with a sense of hope like so i think like it's not it doesn't bang you over the head but you feel it on a granular level that this movie was genuinely trying to bring people's spirits up after mm. that that event I just can't
0: believe you just spoiled the end of Elf like that. Um, But I appreciate (laughs) that really valuable point you just brought up. But I'm I'm curious about this, particularly in movies that came out in 2003, because movies that were shot in maybe 2002 and the way that they're trying to be in conversation with Mm 9-11. That's the thing I'm going to go back and look for. But Hannah, in the meantime, would you do us the honor of if someone somehow has never seen Elf, which we can't help them, you know what I mean? But we're going to try to. Give us a quick breakdown of like what's Elf about?
1: well, Elf is really a fish out of water story, right? It kind of reminds me of Big or Splash or Home Alone 2. You know, these films where like someone on their own, someone's quite childlike in a way, Mm -hmm. innocent, find themselves uh, away from home in the big city and they're trying to kind of like survive it. But in this case, Elf is like a human who doesn't realize he is like who his dad is. So he's an orphan. So you got that whole kind of like, Classic storyline that goes so well at Christmas as well. Like, poor little, poor little, poor little guy. Poor just little wants to buddy. Dad, I know. Yeah, poor little buddy, and he just wants to find, And he just basically comes to like this very cynical New York world, try to spread joy and find his like family. I think, and I think that's quite a sweet prospect. Because also, what I really like about the film is that he has his like stepdad. He has his found family, yeah. Like, and that is an important part of who he is. And then obviously he finds his like biological father and like trying to break down those rules and understand like, you know, the situation when it comes to like blended homes. And I think that was a really kind of like powerful thing, especially for like young kids to watch, because so much of we see is like these perfect, like 2.4 family situation. I really, really relish Christmas films that actually grapple with the reality, like the social realist elements of it. So I love about this film that it's like both a real fantasy but it's also like really grounded in like the truth of family dynamics. As yeah. you said, like, Rad, what's going on? Like, there is this really sadness about kind of like this kind of like mellow, this cloud that is over us. And I suppose like it's really hard to shift it even today. So I think that's why you go to Christmas movies that find that little bit of hope, find that spirit and joy. And I think Elf does it like amazingly well.
0: Yeah. Uh, when I think about my personal, and again, I will, I want to say personal, but my personal like Mount Rushmore Christmas movies, I Elf is on it. I don't know what else is on it, but Elf is like in that spot. And it's kind of hard to think about Elf without Will Ferrell. Like, that's what's kind of remarkable about this because Will Ferrell, by the time that he was cast in this, he'd only really made one movie. It was not that big of a movie and it didn't do that great. It was Night of the Roxbury. So the idea of him starring in a movie was not an easy sell. And, like, there are so many great lines in this movie, so many excellent deliveries. I want to play you this one, which is when Buddy is confronting a fake Santa.
2: So, uh, how old are you, son? Oh. You're a big boy. What's your name? Paul. And what can I get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just say that to everyone in my life all the time. You know, uh, Rad, we should say that originally at the time, like, Chris Farley was going to be cast as Buddy. How much does the success of this movie actually rely on Will Ferrell's performance here?
2: I don't think you could have got as genuine a performance of this character from Chris Farley, right? Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a little bit more like on the Jim Carrey side, where the the the, the personality of the comedian yeah. kind of is like it is is layered on top of the character. Whereas no, Will Ferrell, this he's so perfect for this role, and I've often I've underestimated him as a comedic talent a lot, right? But then kind of just revisiting this movie, I was just watching it, I was like, man, like he really commits just to playing a child. You know, like not, 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 not. You know, complicated the performance. He is just a child in yeah. New York City having fun, and like, and like, you know, like the the scene I was thinking of, like the one that really jumped out at me when this, this finally clicked, is the doctor's office scene where the the father played by James Con takes Buddy to get a blood test, and yeah. he's just like distracted by a million things, and like you know, oh, what is this gadget? And he's just totally committed to this to this to this child performance, and yeah. not trying to like comp- and, you know, not uh, and and that's that's so chief to kind of the what what makes this movie so genuine and sincere it's a little god level performance that is just committed to not trying to be manipulative in any way
1: and i think in a way chris farley what you were saying like chris farley was too known mm-hmm. and also quite dark i think in a way he's got like there's something about like tommy boy and things he like would have played with a bit of an dark, edge i feel right too much edge and i think by this is the beauty of casting someone who is like relatively unknown that you've got no kind of pre-existing idea of who this person is course if you watch Mm -hmm. snl but with this character and there's that freedom that you get with it um just i'm so glad it worked out
0: i'm i'm relieved it worked out too because i think this again this movie becomes this timeless classic and that's something that the director John Favreau was conscious of. He said he wanted to make this timeless classic, a movie that you can watch, whatever year it is, and not go, "Oh, this feels kind of dated." And he looked to some stop, like the stop motion animated uh, classic Rudolph, for inspiration for that. How do you feel Elf holds up now when you watch it, Hannah?
1: I think it still holds up. I mean, yeah. I kind of look at the you know the the Jovie character and think, "Oh, I kind of wish there was a bit more for her than being like, this, yeah. you know." the Side person, a supporting character that's a, a lot Zoo of the emotional Dechanel journey, character. yeah. Yeah, Zoe Deschanel. Although I love that again, it's this side of Zoe Deschanel. We're so used to seeing her play the quite like kooky, the whimsical, oh, it's me, just yeah. day. Oh my god, cute guy, Um, kind <laughs> of person, and in this, she's kind of cynical. Um, she doesn't like Christmas, and I kind of love that in a, a sort of kind of. Yeah. But I, I, I guess the you know again the writer was very much concerned about like, the father son storyline. Yeah. So it's again quite male centric. So I kind of looking back on it, it's like oh yeah okay. I wish it did a little bit more, but what am I going to do? Again, to I'd rather just keep this elf than them ever try and remake this. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah. Please don't like if anyone's listening to this. Do I not heard, step away <laughs> from noticed. the elf
0: remake. No one needs that.
1: Well, exactly, because what's the thing I saw recently that he was oh, spirited, yeah. which is right. kind of like similar. And that was like, oh God, I was not a fan of that. Yeah. Um. I just, I don't know if you could, also I don't know if you could make this again now, because I think sometimes there are films that can only be made in the time period that they mm-hmm. are. I think mm-hmm. we've kind of become too meta and self-aware to be able to deliver something like Elf again
0: that's sincere i totally agree um i appreciate your time rad hannah this has been a delight thank you so much for your time i appreciate it
2: thanks for having us happy holidays and to you
0: pal thank you hannah flint is a film critic and author of strong female character based in london england rad simon palais is a film critic with cbc and ctv he's in toronto they were both marking the 20th anniversary of love actually and elf coming out in theaters and that is it for the podcast today. Listen, before I let you go, I just want to tell you the Golden Globe nominations are out now. Emma Stone has one for television and, and for movies. That's incredible. I'm very happy for her. The rest of the full list is at cbcnews.ca. We're going to be back tomorrow. I hope to see you then.
2: For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca podcasts.